Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. How often have you driven past Napa State Hospital and wondered what goes on behind those gates? Wondered how this institution is addressing the needs of the mentally ill in the state of California? More recently, with the death of Donna Gross, perhaps we've thought more about the criminals housed inside the hospital. I remember the community debate years ago when Napa State was first allowed to bring patients in from the criminal justice system. The community was told it would only be a few and that it would pose no danger either to the hospital or to the community. My guest, psychiatrist Dr. Steven Seeger, has worked inside those gates for many years. The stories he tells in his book, Behind the Gates of Gomorrah, make Cuckoo's Nest look like a Saturday Night Live skit. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Steven Seeger here to talk about his experiences at Napa State Hospital and his book, Behind the Gates of Gomorrah. Steven, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. You've worked there about four years. Talk a little bit about what brought you there. How did you wind up at Napa State, first of all? Well, it's interesting, and I I tell people that most physicians, most uh, people don't know what goes on at Napa State. Most psychiatrists don't either, and I did not. I was uh, a professor of psychiatry at UCLA, and I had run uh, an inpatient unit uh, for IHC in uh, Salt Lake City. And my wife, got, who's a physician, got a job, and I looked online, and I thought, that seems like a nice place to work. So I applied. I got the job. And then I showed up, and it was, <laughs> it was a whole different story. They don't tell you. Even during a week of orientation, no one said, hey, by the way, there's 3,000 assaults in this hospital every year, and we've had staff murdered, and we've had patients murdered, and it's the assault rate Outside, where we're sitting here, is six per thousand. Inside there, it's 62 per thousand. So it goes up 10 times just by walking inside the fence, and no one tells you this. And the story, this is that dead true story. The first time I walked in, there was a, there's a three-pod entryway where you're looked at by people behind computer screens and glass. And it's the same one they use at nuclear weapons facilities in San Quentin. And a guy, I had no idea. I just walked through, and I was given an alarm, and the guy said, uh, I said, what do I do with this? And he said, press that red button. Maybe someone will get to you before they kill you. And that was my introduction to Napa. And Napa State Hospital is considered by the state of California, by the state of California hospital system, to be a low to moderate security facility. Yeah, it's interesting. They define security as, as uh, elopement risk, which is a, uh, elopement is a fancy psychiatry word for the chance of escape. So it's not a risk of violence. It's a risk of, of escaping, and and it, it, the, true, the the the, the what the 20-foot fence with razor wire, the chance of you getting out are extremely small. But we get all of the people from Northern California, all of the the criminally insane. I the book said the Hannibal Lecters of the world, but it's really true. Everything you read about in the Chronicle and anything in Northern California that you go, wow, how could anybody do that? That's the pe- those are my patients. So those are the people that are right across the street now. Now, those people, in theory, I mean, if one believes the state of California, are supposed to be sent to Patton down in, in San Bernardino, which is the, the high-end, the high-security forensic hospital in California. Yeah, that's not how it works. It works geographically. In other words, they try and house patients, which is a good idea, close to their families. So there's there's none of that. And when we try and transfer someone, we may transfer one person a year, but 
Patton will simply say no thank you and and San Quentin says no thank you so we're pretty much we cover all the counties in Northern California Patton covers the Southern California along with Metro and Atascadero covers the Central Coast so it's pretty much it's not divided whatever they told you I have no idea but that's not how it's done we simply get the people from the courts all across Northern California. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the California State Hospital System. You and I were talking before we went on the air about the fact that so little is known about this, that there are these hospitals throughout the state, Vacaville, Patton, Atascadero, Napa, Metropolitan, and L.A., and that very few people know what goes on in them, the degree to which they are, people are committed to them, or what they're all about. Yeah, I was astounded, and, and that's one of the reasons I wrote my book is that no one has ever been inside there. No one can get in. The NPR's tried, uh, BBC's tried, all the newspapers have tried. No one's been in there and ever taken a picture. Uh, it houses people who've been referred by the courts who are, quote, criminally insane, who are mentally ill and have also committed a crime, who have successfully employed the insanity defense. And there are places like this all over the country. What happened in the 1960s was something called deinstitutionalization, which is – Napa used to house just chronically mentally ill people. Right. Those people now are housed on the streets of San Francisco and in the in the in the jails of California, and their places were taken by by uh, the criminally insane, which is what where ninety five percent of our patients now come from the courts. They've been uh, they've successfully employed the insanity defense. They're either incompetent to stand trial, not guilty by reason of insanity. Most of their crimes are fairly horrific. And they, they're sent there for treatment rather than for prison. But interestingly enough, they can also refuse that treatment. You can murder somebody, say, you know, oh, you're mentally ill, you're going to go get treatment. Then once they get there, they can say, you know what, I don't want to do it. Part of it is that, that our criminal justice system has become the mental health system in the state of California since the, the deinstitutionalization you were talking about earlier. It has, and there's, there's a huge movement. Everybody's in the wrong place. The, the people who are mentally ill criminals should be sort of in a forensic hospital in jail. The people who should be in our hospital or on the streets, uh, the people who should be you know housed, everybody's wrong. The, the people are sitting in jail. Mentally ill people are sitting on the streets. Everything is exactly backwards and wrong. Whatever the deinstitutionalization movement, and I'm actually, I think it was an abject failure. People would disagree with me, but I don't care. Uh, it just simply didn't work. Everything ended up wrong. Everybody's suffering. The families are suffering. The patients are suffering. We get people who routinely, everyone is HIV positive. Everyone's hep C positive. They get no medical care. They die 20 years earlier. They simply have been abandoned by a system that was supposedly supposed to help them. And they were supposed to be taking care of what's called the Community Mental Health Center movement. In the 60s, President Kennedy started it. You know, he had a mentally ill uh, sister wasn't funded. No one talked to the communities. The communities simply, stunningly, don't want an influx of chronically psychotic people. The whole thing was not based on any science. There wasn't a shred of evidence the community uh, would work, and it did not. And of course, communities don't want these facilities in their neighborhood. When Metropolitan was built in L.A., and, and most people know I spent many years in L.A., there was a, originally a plan to put it near Beverly Hills, and yep. that was beat down. Exactly. And in a Tascadero hospital, which I, I worked at briefly, there's a sign when you leave a Tascadero, and it says San Francisco, 212 miles to the right, Los Angeles, 212 miles to the left. And it is exactly in the middle because no one wanted it. So they put it, I mean, on a dot in the middle. 
What is it like for the people working there, knowing all the things that you've been talking about, that this is the system we've been left with? What's it like and what is the morale like for those working inside the system? Well, it's interesting. And I want to emphasize that, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, the medical care there is terrific that the, the staff is really excellent. We have full services. What, what they envisioned, the care for the chronically mentally ill, actually happens at Napa. We have full service dental services. People come in, they get their hep C treated, they get all their surgeries done, they get everything done. The medical care is wonderful. The problem is it's just not safe. And we have staff murdered. I lost my, my uh, social worker three weeks ago from getting punched in the face. Half our nurses are off on disability. There, we've had rape attempts. We've had murders. That's the problem. The morale is low because it's not safe. They could fix it easily, and they won't. It's hospital administration. It's Sacramento. It's the Department of State Hospitals. Somewhere up that line, they know how to fix this, but they simply, for some reason, won't do it. So the morale's good in the sense that you're doing good work, but it's bad in the sense that every day I look at both ways before I go out my door, even look under the door to make sure there's no no one's standing out there. What could be done, in your view, to make the environment safer? Well, there's a number of things. Number one, uh, they house, the buildings were built in the late 40s, early 50s. It looks like a college campus. There are a lot of offices on the unit. We, there are no guards, number one. People think, well, it's a prison and it's a high-security thing. There's simply nurses, therapists, and me, and uh, the patients, and we walk around. It's a hospital. I see them every day. I'm walking around with mass murders in the hallways. What about, and I know people in the community see this, there are cars that sometimes you see around town that say Napa State Hospital Police. What's that all about? Napa State Hospital has a police department, but they're not on the units. They're separate. They're remote. It's the largest police department in Napa County, and they will respond to alarms, but it takes three, four, five minutes. And generally what happens when an alarm goes off, staff or patients are saved by uh, a patient who happens to be standing there who intervenes and stops the fight. Next, it's the staff who intervenes. By the time the police arrive, everything's pretty much sorted out. They're, They're like coming on a traffic accident. They're taking a report. So there is police department, but they're not on the units. The units are simply that there are no guards. And my wife and everyone is just stunned by that, that you'd think there would be some physical presence on the unit, but there's not. And the other thing is that they, people come from court uh, with the, without a medication order. They can't refuse treatment. They can simply say, you, you know, you, you're remanded for treatment, but you get there and they say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to shower. I'm not going to take meds. I'm not going to do anything, which I find ridiculous. Talk a little bit about the kinds of, of issues, the kind of mental health issues that you're dealing with both among the forensic patients that, that are really violent and even among the rest? That's a really good question because I, I have a f- big following. We're connected with a lot of people on Facebook, and this is a really hot topic. What we're talking about are what are called the seriously mentally ill. And these are people with schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorders, serious bipolar disorder. We're not talking about people with depression, anxiety disorders, PTSD, this sort of thing. We're talking about people who have... You know who were, you see them on the streets of San Francisco. That they are people who have cognitive declines because of their mental illness. These are people who have genetic, serious, serious mental illnesses that need serious, serious treatment, and they get a full range of treatment. It's not just medications. They get therapy. They get the whole. They get whatever they envisioned with the institutionalization happens there, 
But what I do want to emphasize is the basis of treatment for serious mental illness is medications. People like that. They don't like it. It doesn't matter. This, the basis for treatment of heart disease is medication. The basis of treatment for any medical illness is, is medications, and that's the foundation of treatment. And when you look at what kind of illness, what kind of mental illnesses you're you're confronting there, talk a little bit about that. Are we talking about schizophrenia? Are we talking about bipolar? What is what is the vast majority of the vast, things that you're dealing the with? The vast majority of people, the, they all have one of those three. They they have schizophrenia, which is 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 a genetic disorder in in which people forget the original name was dementia praecox, which was precocious dementia. That people hear voices, they're delusional, they're they're what you would think crazy people are the people you see in San Francisco with the foil hats and that sort of thing. These people are seriously ill. They have a brain illness and they need treatment. We have what's called schizoaffective disorder, which is kind of a split between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and serious bipolar disorder. We don't have the creative, you know, musical geniuses and comedian type of bipolar. We have the people who have the serious, really bad kind. And so people there have what are called SMI, serious mental illness. And that's sort of the division that they need treatment and they need serious treatment. Are there patients there, and if so, how many, that are low risk, need for low security, that, that really just need treatment? Yeah, there aren't many who have don't have a serious mental illness, but a lot of people get better. About 60% of my patients, when I can get a treatment order and when I treatment, and I used to be an internist, and that's a better rate than I was an internist. But a lot of people do get better. So there are people there who are well, who are, but are committed for a fair amount of time. And then we have discharge units and we have basketball leagues and there's a whole culture of recovery there. The problem is they keep getting the hell beat out of them. And so it's difficult to get well and stay well when you keep getting beaten up. And so we all the time are breaking up fights. And if we could make it safer, the people could actually get well, stay well and go home. But the big problem is the violence, and they just simply won't look at the violence. Yet, yeah, not everyone there is crazy. They've been crazy. They're well. There are a lot of people there who are who are you know uh, older. There's we have people there who've been there all their lives. They came there and they went to the uh, elementary school, and so uh, yeah, there are people there, and they they unfortunately are prey to the other people. How often are people discharged from there? Uh, fairly frequently. Uh, there are people who come and stay. There are people who have what's called a determinant sentence length, which is that's <laughs> my cell phone's going off. But um, let me turn that off. There are. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Repeat your question. I just had my. Uh, talking about people getting discharged. How yeah, there are discharge units. People get discharged. People who there become who come there as incompetent to stand trial. Frequently, they still have charges, so they will go back to face those charges when they get well, so they're not discharged to the community. The people who are uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, which is the other big, they will. They have been uh, adjudicated not guilty. When I say not guilty by reason of insanity, your case is over. So they are discharged when they are considered not a danger. But there are, I, I would say, 400 discharges a year, and people do come and go. And even in the older days, back in the pre-institutionalization days, the, the big problem with the, the media for the old hospitals was it the hospitals, it was before Medicare and Medicaid, they contained a lot of the neurologically disordered and the Alzheimer's people. And when you see the pictures of those old asylums, that's the problem, is they were dealing with th – those are the people who you saw pictured – Napa always admitted and discharged the mentally ill. It just kind of got all mucked up in, in, this, in this mess. Why do you think 
so little attention has been paid to these problems, both at, at Napa State and in, in some of the other uh, hospitals around the state of California? Well, I used to, to wor- worry about that, but I think it comes down to politics. Most mentally ill people don't vote. And apparently their parents and their families don't vote as a block either. They're, they're extraordinarily poorly organized. And I think NAMI, the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, they're, they're a, a focus for this type of thing. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to the money and it comes down to politics and they need a voter block. And they, they, the courts are always in, kind of on the other side. They go, they go always for patient autonomy. And so it's just this kind of system where people, a lot of people will write me and say, you know, I used to be an advocate, but I just got burned out. So but people care, but I used to say this, and I think it's true. Uh, people don't care a great deal about mentally ill people in general, never have in the history of the world. And I think if all the homeless people, you know, kind of just died one night and you read about it in the paper, you'd go, oh, okay. It, it just doesn't ring like it used to. And, and it, it doesn't, it, there's just no common consensus that this is wrong. I think it's wrong, but there just isn't a general agreement that there does seem to be a greater demand for services, however, and we haven't added a whole lot of bed capacity to these hospitals in the state of California. Actually, the state hospital system works great. This when I say because we have, you know, we've got a fence. We have we we do great care. The kind of care that the chronically mentally ill need, the seriously mentally ill, are exactly what happens in Napa. The problem is there's no other alternative. When you get out in the community, there there's nothing like this. You go to the community mental health center, and that's it. It just doesn't happen at all. Not even close. You get an appointment. You go in and see the doctor. You need housing. They need dental care. They need to go see the internist. They need what we do. But you need this structured environment. And there's a big call now for maybe reopening the old the old asylums and then there are places back in new york where they're they're having uh, discussions about this as we speak there was a it was a op-ed piece in the new york times uh, two days ago about this should we reopen the asylums if you want good medical care for seriously mentally ill people yes you should do that because it takes a year of good coordinated access to get everything together so they don't die of hepatitis c so they don't die of a tooth abscess so they don't get murdered it just takes a whole big coordinated effort that really just the, a kind of a state hospital can do. What keeps you and, and your colleagues showing up there every morning? What, what keeps you going? It's what one of my nurses called a Jesus job if you're, if you're religious. And it's just these are people who need care, and that's what physicians do. They're sick, and I'm a physician, and I take care of sick people. And I actually like my patients. I like a lot. I, even, I, I would joke with my wife. I have no mass murderers I like and mass murderers I don't like. And that's really true in my job. Any, I, anyone you've read about in the paper, I know. But even regardless of what they've done, they need medical care, and they need, they need treatment. And I, I know it's dangerous, and I know they're violent, and that's why I wrote the book. I'd like to change that. That's the big flaw in the system. That's why people leave. We've had every doctor I've worked with has been assaulted. We've had lost people to head injuries. And I think about it every day. And that's always the question, why do you go back? And the reason I go back actually is because the patients needed a voice. They needed, no one had ever written a book about a state hospital ever in the history of state hospitals from the inside. And if I were to quit and not go back, they'd say, ah, oh, he was just a disgruntled employee. But that's not true. I'm there every day. I'm going there as soon as I leave here. And the patients, I'm an advocate for my patients. I'm an advocate for the staff. They need a safer environment. And I just, that's why I'm doing this, is until people will realize that it's not safe and something needs to be done. What kind of pushback from the institution and from the state have you gotten to the book? Not much, which I think is their calculated response. I think it's actually their response to everything, is they simply don't respond. And it really doesn't apparently matter what you do. Uh, 
and I'm not pushing them particularly. I just think they should respond in a, in a way in which uh, is it, just sort of human nature. I don't know why people can't in, in positions of authority, once they get outside the fence, people just kind of change. They kind of think differently and they get wrapped up. Like the state's response to this, uh, Donna Gross being killed, and, and this was to, to regularize our forms so that everyone in the state had the same forms and the same computer system. And I thought, well, that, that just doesn't – I don't get that. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the community itself, the local community, and what concerns the community should have. Well, I, I don't think there's safety concerns. I mean, we've had one person get out during the football game. Um, and I, I, I think people should be proud that, uh, that, that uh, one of the functioning mental hospitals in the country that really works well, albeit it's violent, actually is in Napa. And they get great care. And it's, it's violent. But I don't think the, the community doesn't understand. I, when I, we frequently are out in the community, go out to lunch, and people will see my badge, and they'll say, oh, isn't that where foster kids go when they turn 18? Or isn't that where Alzheimer's people go? Or I thought that was closed. I thought it was a college. So there's no real safety concern. I mean, the people are out in the community anyway. You should be more worried about the people who aren't in the hospital, truthfully. Mm-hmm. And, and with respect to the hospital, and and the people there that are are many of them involved in the community, active in the community, or they live elsewhere. They live elsewhere. Uh, a lot of the physicians live in Napa, and that's the only one, ones I know. But people, I we have physicians who live in Davis, and they live in Berkeley, and I live in Santa Rosa, which is an hour away. So you don't tend to get involved. At least it's so diverse, and mm-hmm. people just want to don't want to think about it when they go home. It's this very weird thing, and I, this is what I tell people, and this is the best analogy. When you work there, it's like being in an abusive relationship. It's like you're a spouse, and, and you're you're going to get hit, or you're at the risk of getting hit, and if you complain, they threaten you. They say, we're going to fire you. You'll lose your house. You're gonna, your kids won't be able to go to school. And some people even defend the abuser. They'll say, oh, it's not so bad. You know, he's okay. The, state, the hospital's okay. So it's just this weird thing. But people, I, I can't figure it out either. There's just no cohesive response to, to this. It would seem to me, people ask me, why, do you, why don't you just all go outside and say we're not going in until you fix it? And I don't have an answer to that. What level of violence in terms of the offenders that are there are we talking about? Are we talking about murderers? Yes, absolutely. In other words, we are the end of the line. We're talking about mass murders. We're talking about people who've killed anything you've read about in the paper where people have killed their parents or they've killed other people or they've shot at nursing schools or they've skinned people or cannibalized people. Those people all come to Napa. There, there is no other place to go. In other words, when you think of Hannibal Lecter, that's his was Baltimore State. Well, we're right. the Baltimore State of, of Northern California. Whatever, this is the end of the line. Originally, when Napa State started taking seriously violent forensic patients, and it wasn't that all that long ago, the idea was that it was going to be very limited and it was not going to be the kind of patients that, that you're talking about. Yeah, that just didn't – whatever that was, that did not I mean, happen. That's, that's what the community was I'm told I'm sure the time. they were. I am 100% <laughs> sure they were. But that is exactly what did not happen. In other words, they that's all those people come plus – Every it, it, it's just twelve hundred of people who've committed twelve hundred really bad crimes, and that's exactly who is in there. And whatever you were told, I have absol- I have no clue. But there's no artifice about it. Now there's there's ninety percent, ninety five percent are serious criminals, and the other five percent are people who've been there for a long time. We also function there's a, a unit actually outside the fence, which is the county mental health center, mm-hmm. and so. 
But yeah, whatever they told you, that's not true. <laughs> how many doctors and psychiatrists are working there, and how large is, is your caseload, for example? Uh, there are 72 physicians, psychiatrists. Uh, there are more psychologists. There's 1,200 patients. There's more than 1,200 staff. I think there's probably, I, I don't know the exact numbers. And mm. interestingly enough, it's hard to get the exact numbers because I've done pieces for the New York Times or the Sacramento Bee. I've done international stuff, uh, interviews. I couldn't even get, and people agree who've tried, the number of beds they have, how many patients are in the hospital. It's just really different to get any kind of information out of that place that's, that's valid and good. But the staff is large. Uh, there, like I say, there's uh, 72 psychiatrists, and, and it's a diverse group. They're from all over the world. Uh, they're young. They're old. But they're not particularly organized either. So, <laughs> It sounds very disorganized on it, almost every level. It is, and it's, I, it's done sort of purposely. In other words, the hospital isn't built uh, vertically. It's horizontal. We're kind of spread out, 17 buildings spread out, so you, you kind of are di- – physically distant and emotionally different from everybody everybody's in their building there are i've been there four years and there's still uh, probably 25 psychiatrists i've never met mm-hmm. ever to what extent particularly the violent offenders that you were talking about before the really violent offenders did uh, it, did they improve did do you see any changes in them yeah yeah, almost everybody gets better. There's a core of people, and it's a lot of the sexual offenders. They, they're they chronically known for not getting better. All medical diseases, I was an internist to start with, and I was an ER physician, and it's called the rule of thirds. And I don't care what specialty you're in, psychiatry, cardiology, a third of your people get better and, and get well, and you never see them again. A third get better and then get sick again, and a third never quite get better. And that's, we just kind of have the third that never quite get better or that they get better some. So we're skewed a little bit more toward the sick, but most most of our patients do improve a lot. And I was really surprised. They A lot of people, the, the antipsychotic medications, I don't care what you think about them, they work great and they do exactly what they say they're going to do, which is they clear up psychosis. People think more clearly, they think rationally, the voices go away, the delusions go away, and they get better and they want to get on with their life. So they, there's a core of about 60% of the people Regardless of how violent and bad their crimes are due, their mental illness does clear up. And talk about the role of the psychiatrist there, your role, the role of your colleagues, beyond prescribing the antipsychotic medications. Well, it's it's run on the treatment team model, and the psychiatrist is the head of the treatment team. And, and I do, we do conferences. There's huge therapy programs. We have basketball leagues. We have volleyball leagues. We have art art groups we have tons of therapy groups and you you do conferences and i do a lot of the medical stuff i do my day i tell them as a psychiatrist is the same as an internist we manage a lot of x-rays we manage a lot of scans we coordinate a lot of their just general medical care we have an internist on the unit but it's it's a medical model but we also work on the recovery model which is uh therapy and insight and and support and it's a full range of services so i'm involved in all of that stuff and to what extent is there med- besides the mental health care is there medical care there yes. the patients wind up at the queen or is there a yes. full service hospital there's, well there? there's a full service unit there but they they are they go for specialty care in the unit in the community they go to the queen we've had many people admitted there they go with a you know a guard with them but yeah the medical care is superb they get absolutely top-notch medical care we've had everything done you can imagine you come there with hep c we have a hep c clinic you get that cleared up we have an hiv clinic we have 
cardiology. We have everything that you could want. They get really top-notch medical care. And what was your goal in writing the book, essentially? My goal in writing the book was to, uh, a couple-fold, but the place is violent and it shouldn't be. In other words, I'm an advocate for my patients. They're remanded there for treatment and they get beat up. And that's just wrong. The staff comes there. They try and help people. They try and get people better. They get beat up. They get killed. I've had, on my office, I've had two people killed within, in the same spot almost, you know, a number of years apart. But that's just wrong. And and it, it just, it's easily fixed. They should have a, a unit where the, the really bad offenders are segregated. There's, a, the, there's we should have guards on the unit. We should have just whole whole rejiggering of the whole place. Not that the care is bad. It should, it just needs to be reformed. I wrote the book because it generates interest like you. Like you want to mm-hmm. talk about this because it's, it's, it's not right. It's not fair. It could be fixed. And uh, that's why I wrote it. People respond. Are the really violent offenders that are there, are they spread throughout the facility or are they confined to one particular unit? No, we're trying, we're working toward confining them to one particular unit, which I would be happy actually to work on. But you get pushback saying, well, interesting that here was the pushback we got. We, the, the unit was, is, is in the pilot stage, maybe, and then everyone has their own, has their own bedroom. And the disability rights attorney said, well, that's too isolative. But the single biggest request we get from our patients is for their own room. So they just get things like that. But that would, that would help a lot. It would really help a lot, too, is, is courts to uh, mandate treatment. It, to have untreated, violent, psychotic people wandering around is really, really dangerous. If you can imagine, if you had psychotic, violent people wandering around your radio station, your your job would be different if you figure every time you walk out that door you might get beat up that changes your view of things that's why i wrote the book is because why, that's not why right. are the courts not doing that i have no clue they live in some sort of weird world where the disability rights attorneys and the case law since the 60s has gone pretty much in in not in the treatment way but in the liberty way where you yeah you can die on the streets of, of HIV with your face in the gutter if you want because you're sick and there's sort of a movement now I don't think that's right maybe some people I hope other people don't but I just I think if you have a serious I mean people we force treatment on people with tuberculosis we you know it's not like we don't do this if you have a serious disease and, and you need treatment, most other places you, you can get it. But somehow with mental illness, it's like, oh, we can't do that. That's not that's not right. Dr. Steven Seeger, the book is Behind the Gates of Gomorrah, A Year with the Criminally Insane. Stephen, I thank you so much for spending time with us. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you.